Idealism is guilty, middle-class bullshit. No, sweetie, cynicism is bullshit. No, 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 I'm not being cynical, I'm being honest. But do you stand honest. for anything? Yes, what? I stand for... What? What do you stand for? I stand for honesty. Oh, I stand yeah, for some right. level of truth. Yeah, right. And I talk Fuck here. You. Let me talk. What's going on, everybody? This is Mikey from I Don't Want to Hear It. This week we were supposed to conclude the epic operatic saga of It Came From The Beach with Part 3, but circumstances have prevented us from putting that inside of your skull. However, the episode is currently being edited and will be available next Monday, so put down the torches. Now, as I've said before, I Don't Want to Hear It is a 100% DIY operation, so these things happen, but we promise we won't ever leave you hanging with no content whatsoever without warning, hence these past two weeks of Straight To Your Face. And I think it was fun to listen to Shane's daughter tell him he sucks right to his big Yeti moon face last week. We've got several episodes of new content percolating right now, including two interview episodes, as well as the end of our trilogy and yet another one in one R5. It's all very exciting. This week I have a few things I want to share with you, so let's not waste any time. We can jump right the fuck in with our usual upfront segment, The Right Profile. Say, where did I see this guy? I'm a big fan of the hip-hop group Nonfiction. Their 2002 LP, The Future Is Now, is in my top three hip-hop records of all time. The other two would be Revolving Door of Illmatic, Enter the 36 Chambers, The Infamous, and All We Got Is Us. Why did I feel the need to limit myself to three if I immediately refused to stick to it? I'll never tell. If you never heard The Future Is Now, imagine King of New York meets Escape from New York, and you're there. What's that you say? That tells you nothing? Well, I don't tailor my material. Nonfiction consists of three MCs, Ill Bill, Gore-Tex, and Sabak, who I always mixed up with Saget from Street Fighter, and one DJ, DJ Eclipse. You know, because that's how it's supposed to be. If your DJ is an iPhone, become lost. The group was formed in Canarsie in 94. Singles and touring followed, and they released their one and only official full-length in 2002. There's a ton of bootleg material out there, and if you like harder-edged hip-hop, it's well worth your time. Now, of the four members, Ill Bill's been the most prolific, releasing several solo LPs and collaborating with Vinnie Paz and the group Heavy Metal Kings, and with members of House of Pain and Slain in the group La Coca Nostra but it's his latest collaboration I'm featuring today, and it bears the most badass moniker I've heard in some time. Cannibal Hulk. Nonfiction and Bill's lyrics have always had a B-movie bent to them, and Cannibal Hulk continues with the sleazy grindhouse vibe. As usual, Bill's rhymes touch on everything from obscure comic book references to exploitation movies to occult rituals and sometimes just beating the wheels off a pretender. The beats are provided by Stu Bangas, And I will pronounce it bangers from now on because the soft R hits my ears like a pile of wet towels dropped on a pile of wet towels. But his production is absolutely fantastic. Lo-fi, gritty, bursting at the seams with dark piano loops and hard drum breaks. I'm not very plugged into the world of hip-hop, but I know what I like, and this record was a nice surprise. Head over to illbill.bandcamp.com to pick up the vinyl or the digital. Or be that way and don't. So, aside from music and podcasting, I write. And I know you're probably picturing some sort of John Doe scenario where I fill a bunch of wet notebooks with rage and skin flakes, but that's not it at all. 
When I'm not haranguing Shane about the reptilian overlords and their insatiable desire for our human blood juice, I sometimes write stories. In fact, about nine years ago, I self-published a terrible novella called Everyone Comes Here to Die. It was terrible because it was in no shape to be published, and man, did it ever backfire on me. It was like I went to the big city, wide-eyed, script in hand, and then was just thrown screaming from some reanimated corpse of a talent agent's third floor window. See, there's this service called CreateSpace that allows authors who have no business even sharing their work to publish it. People can buy it, and then they print the book to order. It's a pretty ingenious business model. I, however, got over-eager and put out what basically amounted to a terribly formatted second draft. How terrible, you ask? It read like I was deprived of oxygen for half an hour and then had my hands bashed with monkey wrenches, but I was just so excited that there could be a book with my name on it that I quickly threw up the worst version of what is, honestly, a pretty personal story. And I didn't learn my lesson because I did it again about a year later when I punched up the manuscript but didn't punch it enough, so even the second version of the story was inferior, and if you own it, throw it in the sewer. Now, for the past several years, I've been working on a batch of new stories and reworking some of my old ones. After years of drafting, editing, ripping, tearing, chopping, and control burning, I think they're finally ready to see the light of day. This latest pile of words comes in the form of a collection of not one, but two novellas. The aforementioned Everyone Comes Here to Die, and a new one called All the Young Punks, both set in the same universe, if I may use so garish a word. There's some short stories in there that connect everything too, sort of like what Kevin Smith does, only much less heartwarming and with fewer lesbians. These stories are semi-autobiographical, but with some fictional flourish thrown in. Honestly, I had to scale some of the stuff back because many of the events depicted were unbelievable even though they really happened. But that's what you get when you surround yourself with a bunch of punk rock sociopaths for half your life. A lot of crazy stories that will make your coworkers think there's something deeply wrong with you. I have another writing project, which I'm very excited about. It's a group of non-fiction stories entitled Young Till I'm Old, The Musings of a Punk Rock Nobody. This collection includes a deeper look at some of the bands Shane and I talked about on our It Came From The Beach series, articles, essays, and even reworked stand-up bits from my brief flirtation with open micing, where I just sort of spewed my hate into a mostly empty but nevertheless hostile room. If Random House doesn't knock down my door in the next few months, I'll be publishing my work once again through CreateSpace, though the quality will be improved thanks to some professional editing. I'll keep you guys updated. I know you're just beside yourselves. The first collection of stories should be available this summer. However, Young Till I'm Old won't be ready until early 2020. So until then, to tide you over, I thought maybe I'd share an excerpt from that book. This is a little piece I also published on our website under I Don't Want to Read It. It's called, Oh, You're in a Band? Oh, You're in a Band? I used to get this question a lot, primarily because I've worked a lot of straight office jobs with benefits, retirement plans, key cards, and secret fucking Santa. Maybe you've never had to explain the punk part of your life because you jockey the iPad register at your local swap meets vegan cupcake stand. All your coworkers have tattooed faces and couldn't be more disinterested that you play an instrument or that some fly-by-night record label put out your terrible 7-inch. They're all too busy making steampunk dioramas and bedazzling faux taxidermy for their Etsy store to give a shit about your dumb art. I never used to announce the fact that I played in a band, quite the opposite. 
but sometimes it would slip out in casual conversation with people who had no frame of reference. I'd try to downplay it, but people would inevitably draw their own conclusions. And that's when the question started, usually with, do you write your own songs? It's hard to tell people you're not in one of the bar bands they enjoy, that you write your own songs, that you, in fact, think everything they like is stupid without sounding like a pompous asshole. I mean, you are, but they don't need to know that. Still, you get wrapped up in these terrible conversations when all you really want to do is go back to your office and duck dive into the paper shredder so you don't have to go to the 3 o'clock meeting. Let's be clear. I'm defining being in a band as a group of friends who take their show on the road. It doesn't have to be a months-long national tour, but you have to go out of town. You don't get the full experience just playing locally. Whether it's an Elks Lodge, a real club with stage lights and sound, or some mite-infested basement in a house that should be burnt down, traveling is the real meat of playing music. The goal is, of course, not to have the, oh, you're in a band conversation over and over with every coworker from every department in your office. You only have so many eyelashes you can yank out in frustration, and it is frustrating. Mark my words, the minute they find out, your fellow office drones will now think they finally have something interesting to talk to you about. Whatever soul-draining reality show vacuum they normally flap their lips about won't be back until next fall, and they've just got to say something, because if the silence isn't broken, it might actually crush them. And up until now, you've just been the tight-lipped, scowl-faced office sociopath who slams his fingers in the filing cabinet twice a day just to feel something. Now, you're fun. The old hair metal guy who works in accounting tries to talk shop with you about White Snake and back when music was really music. The party girl receptionist shoots you the metal horns and bangs her head when you come in hungover. People start signing off on their emails to you with keep on rocking. And worst of all, since offices are chock full of failures, yes, some of them musical, you may have to fend off advances from a manager who loves Steely Dan and just wants to jam with you. So... If you ever find yourself facing down some 30-something, twice-divorced human resources rep who's barely hanging on to life by the quick of her Walmart manicure, and she's asking you, what's it like being in a band? You can tell her this. Well, Tammy, the first thing you want to do is pull together the money you're all barely making at your terrible jobs. You use that to put some new tires on your ramshackle, borrowed, garbage truck of a van so you have a better chance of not dying on the way to wherever the show is. See, you've already worn the current ones bald and you've survived two blowouts at 90 miles per hour, so you figure the third time is for all the marbles. If there is a god, judging by your lack of success up until this point, he's not very interested in your well-being. Then, you get some guy who does a lot of drugs to print you up some t-shirts, badly, for which he will demand payment before services are rendered, probably at knife point. As I'm sure you can gather, whether you'll receive said shirts is up in the air at this juncture. Regardless, you'll pile into the aforementioned van and, of course, get lost a few times on the way to the show. There's a good chance the van will break down at this point, and since no one in your band pays attention to anything important, like getting the oil changed, the engine explodes and that's the end of the trip. But if the pistons on that old jalopy don't melt, you might actually make it to the show. You'll know you're there because you'll see maybe six or seven disinterested kids sucking on vape pens, the smoke hanging like a shroud over the dim orb of illumination cast by their cell phones. These moon-faced idiots will most likely leave before you manage to load your gear into the venue because they have a lot of other stuff to do that doesn't involve your stupid ass. 
The guy running the show will be late, if he shows up at all. If and when he does, he'll probably resent you and your band for some unknown cosmic reason and treat you like lepers the entire night. This guy will let everyone else play and leave before you do. Then you'll play, maybe to one or two kids who stare at the ground, then something, a guitar string, a drum head, will break, and whoever sings for your band, maybe it's you, will make some horrific small talk while the problem is addressed. After the show is finally over, everyone still in attendance will feign brain damage when the subjects of gas money or a place to spend the night are broached. So, your band will probably decide to go find a Motel 6 because your van is a dumpster on wheels and one more night sleeping in it, a wash in a mist of farts and body odor will give everyone E. coli. And when you do find a motel, you'll see that it is, invariably, located next to a Waffle House. You'll eat there and then go back to a damp, musty room where everyone will experience painful diarrhea in the small hours of the night. You may notice a blood stain on the carpet of this room, but no one will speak of it. And throughout all of this, you'll have strep throat and your band will be angry with you for being sick and you'll find out via some sort of social media slip-up that your girlfriend is cheating on you back home. So when you get back, you'll punch seven holes in the paper-thin walls of your studio apartment, possibly revealing a nest of spiders or some other vermin you're drastically under-equipped to deal with. This, in addition to the fleas currently infesting your apartment, because in a moment of desperation you attempted to befriend a stray cat that was riddled with parasites, the same cat who, within seconds of letting it inside, clawed you, shit on the floor, and jumped out the window. You'll probably ask some of the big questions, maybe aloud in your black hole of an apartment. Things like, what am I doing? Who am I? And why bother? Answers will come in the form of a howling spiritual emptiness. After an undetermined period, you and your band will reconvene at your practice space, which is just a storage unit located somewhere in the worst part of town. While gunshots punctuate the night, the group of you will attempt to write some new material to breathe life into what feels like a dying endeavor. Various hobos and derelicts will watch from the shadows by the railroad tracks, and the mutant who runs the place might scrabble over on his bony spider legs to engage you in uncomfortable conversation about when he used to suck dicks for loose change to buy crack. It will be frigidly cold or swelteringly hot depending upon the time of year. Arguments will be had until the tension becomes so heavy someone quits. Finally, the remaining members will start a new band, continuing the cycle until everyone is married or dead. It's like that, Tammy. There's more original content to read on our website, I Don't Want to Hear It Podcast.com, under the link I Don't Want to Read It. There's a small bit of overlap with the books and this material, but most of it is completely original and made exclusively for the site and our listeners, unlike the piece I read today. I release a new article on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. At least, that's my plan. If it changes, uh, you guys will be the first to know. So now it's time for our final segment. Hold on to your butts. It's 10 Second Reviews. Uh? I thought I'd take it back to one of my favorite modern classics today. In This Defiance by Strife. The clock starts now. The heaviest band to ever play in standard tuning, Rick Rodney's voice is a chainsaw punching through a side of beef. Breaking Edge on Cigars has never sounded so fuck you. May 20th is going to be a big day over here at I Don't Want to Hear It. You'll be able to listen to the third part of It Came From The Beach, a new complimentary playlist, and the new recording by our band Absent Friends will be available to stream and download as well. Spotify will follow soon after that, but Shane has to pony up the cash to get us listed because he's a doctor and I will not suffer such foolishness. So that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening and for bearing with us while we regroup and get ourselves on a real schedule. We love doing the show and we're very grateful that we have listeners. We want to keep putting together entertaining content and the occasional short episode or two allows us to get ourselves in the right position to do just that. 
And while we're on the topic of cool content, here's another track from the upcoming Absent Friends album, We're Dead. It's called We Boil All of Our Denim, and it's about never being too old to rage. We'll talk to you guys next week, so until then, whatever Shane says and whatever I say, let's go, let's go!